Well, good morning. So when I first uh, started seminary, my first on-campus class was a class called um, Summer Greek Intensive. Um, And that class basically was to take a year of biblical Greek and put it into six weeks, okay? So every day, Monday through Friday, we went to class for four hours, um, and we would learn about a chapter a day, a big test every Friday, and then by the end, we would have finished a full year of Greek um, at a seminary level. And when you register for this class, the registrar sends you an email after your uh, name gets added to the list to tell you that when you take this class, you are not supposed to do anything else. So they warn you that you shouldn't work um, and you shouldn't take any other classes during the six weeks and that your um, responsibility for that six weeks is this class. Um, And basically the underlying premise of that was this class is so hard, you shouldn't try to do anything else because you'll be in class for four hours and then you're going to be expected to study for like 16 more hours at the end of that so you can sleep for a few hours, wake up and take a quiz every single morning. On the first day... The quiz was literally the first day as you walk in, the quiz was on the Greek alphabet. So it was expected that we were learning the Greek alphabet before we come. And those of you may be like, that's fine. I know some letters of the Greek alphabet. Um, The ones that we typically see, especially if you have a history in a sorority or fraternity life, those are the capital letters. Those letters aren't used very much in biblical Greek. They use the lowercase letters a little bit more. And so we're learning the lowercase letters. And so like any good millennial... I downloaded a song and put it on my phone as my ringtone. So the weeks leading up to biblical Greek starting, every time my phone rang, it would sing the Greek alphabet to me, and I would listen to the whole thing before I answered the phone um, in order to train my ear to say those letters. Um, It wasn't super helpful with, like, writing them. I didn't really think through that one. But that song... To this day, I can still sing the Greek alphabet. I'm not going to, but not doing it, it's fine. You can, I don't believe in peer pressure. It's a great example to set for my youth. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for that laugh, Maddie. Um, I'm not going to sing it, but that song, and just like the English alphabet that I learned much younger in life, if I need to pull out like one letter or a small sequence of letters, I can't just go to that letter and start there. I have to sing the whole thing. I mean, sometimes I can start at like L, right? L-M-N-O-P, if that's all I need to do. But if I need some random letters, I will start all the way from the beginning and sing the whole thing. And sometimes that's what memorizing does to us, right? We remember the whole not so much the pieces. And so when I think about saying the Lord's Prayer, that sometimes happens to me. It happens that I have to say the whole thing in order to remember some of the smaller pieces of it. And that comes from growing up in a Catholic family and reciting the Lord's Prayer during Mass. And this morning I was talking to somebody about um, the interaction between the Lord's Prayer in a Catholic church or a Lutheran church, right? Some of you that have been spent time in both of those spaces know that the Catholic church um, stops where the Lutheran church keeps going. And so um, this person I was talking to this morning had the opposite experience of me. She was in a Catholic mass saying the Lord's Prayer, and then she kept going while everyone else stopped. Whereas I, the first time I was in a covenant church... We said the Lord's Prayer, and it was like the one part of service is like, I've got this, right? I know how to say this. I would say the prayer, and then I stopped, right? 
And then everyone else kept going. And I was like, wait, there are more words to this prayer? I have to learn more things? But sometimes that happens when we memorize things. So our hope for this series is that we're going to pull apart some of the pieces of this prayer in order to really think through what it means for us to pray each of these individual lines, what it means to let those lines infiltrate our lives to live out the kingdom in our world today. So we're going to be looking at these six um, these six areas of the prayer, right? So the asking for the Father's character, for his kingdom, his provision, his forgiveness, his guidance, and his protection. So this morning as I kick us off, we're going to talk about God's character in the first couple of lines of the Lord's Prayer. So will you pray with me as we prepare for this? Gracious God, we thank you for the chance that we get to be together this morning. We thank you for all that you have done in our lives. We thank you for the chance that we get to come together and freely worship you this morning. God, would you open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to hear from you this morning. May we see you in a new way. In your holy and precious name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Well, many scholars believe that when Jesus wrote or when Jesus said these words, that it wasn't necessarily to become a memorized prayer for our lives. Their tradition would have had memorized prayers in their um, worship services, but maybe necessarily Jesus wasn't saying, these are the exact words I want you to say for the rest of your life. But that's okay. It was meant as a model, a prayer to pray rather than the prayer to pray. And he gave this model to his disciples during the Sermon on the Mount. And sometimes when I think about the Sermon on the Mount, I just imagine Jesus standing on a mountain and there'd be crowds of people around. But in the beginning of Matthew 5, it says that Jesus saw the crowds, he took his disciples, and he went away to the mountain. So the Sermon on the Mount is actually just him and his disciples. And it's his teaching on what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, was going to be all about. It's his inauguration of the kingdom here on earth. So in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about the inner lives of the disciples. He begins with prayer, and then he talks about fasting. But he's talking about this intimate relationship between us and God. And he's sharing this with the disciples in the hopes that they would go and share this beyond him. His disciples would make disciples. So in this section, he talks about not praying out loud. He says, don't stand on a corner and make a big show about your prayers, but go off into an inner room and have intimacy with, with God. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we can't pray in public. He's not saying that I shouldn't stand up here and say a prayer for all of us. That's not necessarily his point. What his point is, is that the prayer should start first and foremost from an intimate relationship with God. And so some of us need to go off into a place and have that intimate moment with God, that quietness of our heart. And then he says, so when you do pray, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he continues on. So we're going to break up these eight words into three sections and talk a little bit more about what Jesus meant when he said this. So the first is our Father. 
The first stop on this prayer train is invoking God as Father. And there's a number of reasons why Jesus chose to start the prayer this way. But first and foremost, he's naming this intimate relationship with God that we are being invited into. It had become tradition within, um, within the Jewish community to not name God out loud. They had had um, other scriptures that would talk about God as father, so that part wasn't necessarily shocking. But when they would talk about God, they would use other words. They wouldn't necessarily address God right away. And sometimes over the centuries, what can happen then is a split and a separation between God and his people. And they would think about God as this kind of all-powerful being that lived in a totally different place. And while that is true, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, but he's also like a dad. The word here used is Abba, which is like a nickname. Like dad or daddy or papa. So what Jesus is doing here with the disciples is he's challenging their image of God. This image of God is an all-powerful, faraway, distant God. And he's changing it to a closer relationship, a family relationship, something tangible that they can comprehend. God is still this big and almighty God, but he's also like a father, like an Abba. And as I said earlier, that this sermon is Jesus' inauguration of the kingdom by inviting the disciples into this kingdom work with him. He's inviting them into this relationship with the Father, with this intimate um, relationship. And Jesus exemplifies this as he goes and spends time regularly with God alone. He references the Father when he's talking to them, and he's inviting them into that relationship. And when he begins the prayer as our father, he's saying that it's not just my father, it's our father. Communally, this is the God that we worship. Using that our brings the disciples into that family with him. And it reminds us when we pray this pray, it's not prayer, it's not meant for us to pray individually necessarily. It's a communal prayer. I believe that's why in the church we say it together. We recite it together is to remind us that this prayer is not just for me, not just for my house, not just for my community, not even just for my church, but around the world, all those who call God their own. All those who confess their faith in Jesus, we are praying this prayer communally on behalf of all believers, on behalf of all of God's children. Now, the next phrase, in heaven, there are some of us that follow God that have a hard time identifying God as Father. There's a brokenness in some of our relationships with our own earthly fathers. And so when we think about calling God Father, it's confusing. I remember as an early believer, I was listening um, to a sermon on these words that come later in this sermon. Jesus says, again, he compares God to the Father, and he says, Who of you then, 
when asked their son, when asked by their son for bread, will give them a rock. For even though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to you who ask? And I remember sitting in that um, sermon and hearing those words and being like, all right, but God, here's the thing. My father didn't know how to give good gifts. And I'm not just talking about gifts at Christmas or my birthday. I'm talking about when I asked for one thing, sometimes it felt like I was getting a rock instead of bread. Sometimes in my life with my earthly father, there were ways that he fell short. And it's now that I can look back on it as an adult, it wasn't necessarily his fault. He wasn't set up necessarily to love me the way that I needed as a teenager. It was outside of his capabilities to give good gifts. And it didn't really make sense to me. I just stopped using father for a while, which I want to tell you right now, if you're in that space, it's okay. If you want to call God, God or Lord, and you want to take a little break from using father, that's okay. I just took a break from it for a little while. And a few years later, I was living in Kansas City with a family who did um, ministry in the area. And I don't remember what exactly had happened in my day that got me to the kitchen table with the wife of that family. Her name is Linda. I don't remember what big catastrophic thing happened during my internship, but I remember sitting there very upset and processing through some of these things and some of my frustrations with God and with my own earthly father. And I remember her saying this phrase that changed my life. She said, Alicia, no one on this earth can love you perfectly. Only God can. And I realized that I was expecting something from my father that he couldn't deliver on, my earthly father. I was expecting too much from him. But the things that I was expecting from him could be fulfilled by somebody else. God. And so she explained to me the way that she reconciled this in her own life. So she would take a moment that was frustrating or disappointment or disagreement with someone else. And she would kind of journey through what was really behind that hurt in her own heart. And she would journey through it to the point where she would figure out what it was that she was lacking in that relationship. What it was she was expecting this other person to do that they had not done. And then she would remind herself, no one on this earth can love me perfectly. Only God can. And then she would look for ways that God could fill that need that she was looking for. And then she would praise God for it on the way out. And as I started to work through some of my own issues with my dad using this system, I was able to recognize that there were specific times in my life that my dad had let me down, that I, fig- I could figure out what it was that I needed, and then I would see this, like, li- this like, shimmer of light or hope that somebody else had filled into that spot for me. So whether it be a song that had come on the radio at a time that I needed um, some reassuring, or a person at church who would step into my life and act like a father figure when I needed it, change the oil on my car or do something else that I had expected my dad to do, or even to recognize the way that my mom had overcompensated for my dad in that season of my life. 
But I was able to see all of these places where God had purposely put people and things into my life that allowed me to see that he was loving me when I needed it the most. And it was able, it was helpful for me to be able to name that our father is in heaven. That those two words is what takes it away from my experience with my own dad. I was able to separate those things out and eventually heal the brokenness from my relationship with my own earthly dad. I was able to get to a place where I wasn't expecting perfect love from him. And I could start using the phrase, our father in heaven, once again. We as humans, we have limitations. We can't love perfectly, and it's the basis of why we need to be reminded to let Christ's love infiltrate us so that we may love through Christ other people. And when we say this phrase, in heaven, after we say our Father, we remind ourselves that this prayer goes out to the only one who could love us perfectly, the only one who sent his Son to die so that we may have abundant life God is the one who deserves all of the glory, all of the praise, for he is the perfect one, which leads us directly to the next part of the prayer. Hallowed be your name. I love this phrase. When I was a kid, I loved saying it because the word just felt really nice on my mouth. Hallowed sounded very big and important. When I was a kid, I didn't really know what that meant, but it sounded like a big deal to say, hallowed be your name which is fitting because it is a big deal to say, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is just another way of saying, make holy. Let your name be holy, be set apart from all other names. And I love that it's structured in a way that in the Greek, the verb is passive, meaning that we are not the ones acting on the word. God is acting on the word. We cannot make God's name holy. God already did it. The name is already set apart. He did all that he needed to do to make that happen. We are simply recognizing it by saying this phrase. Hallowed be your name. We recognize that on our own, we cannot set his own name apart. He is the one who has already done it. It's a call back to the first three commandments given, us, given to us in the story of Exodus. It says, I am the Lord your God. You shall not have any gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Hallowed be your name. So often I think we skip over this part of the prayer, but this is the part, this is the part that names who this God is, that names and reminds us that he is the one who's bringing about the kingdom of heaven. If this Sermon on the Mount is about bringing in the kingdom of heaven, this beginning to our prayer reminds us who's the head of that kingdom. We ask God to set apart his holy name because we recognize in our imperfection We cannot do that. God is the one who is in control, the creator of all things, the God who delivered the Israelites time and time again, the God who sent his son to change everything, 
the God who watched the son die on a cross and then raised him through the power of the Holy Spirit and then gave the Holy Spirit as a gift to his people to know him better. That is the God that we worship. Hallowed be your name. This great, immense, powerful God who invites us into intimate relationship with himself. This is the God who is in control when we feel chaotic. This is the God who comforts us when we feel alone. This is the God who calls our name in the darkness and prepares a way for us toward the light. This is the God who loves all people and desires them to know him. Hallowed be your name. Throughout this series, our hope is that we dive deeper into this prayer, that we would see God more and more clearly every week that we draw near to God through this prayer and that we learn the big impact this prayer can have on our lives is meant to have on our lives. And that we would change, we would be able to step outside our memory of recitation enough to let each piece of this prayer change us from within. So this week, may we recognize the character of God. Whether we needed the reminder that he invites us to more than an intimate, more into a more intimate relationship with him, or if we needed to remember that this prayer is communal, prayed on behalf of all of us. Or maybe we needed the reminder that we can separate our Heavenly Father from the memory and experience of our earthly Father. Or if we needed to remember that He is the one who sets Himself apart from all of the other little G-gods in our lives. Whatever reminder we needed this morning, may we go out into the world this week calling upon our Heavenly Father whose name is greater than all others. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious God, Heavenly Father, you have gone before us to do a great work in your people. As we come before you, as we worship you in our last song, and as we go out and worship you with our lives, God, our hope is to make your name great. Thank you for all you've done in our lives and the goodness and faithfulness you have given us. We pray all of these things in your holy name. Amen.